I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. We usually think of COVID-19 patients in two categories, those who survived and those who didn't. But there's another category called long haulers, people who don't have the virus anymore, but still have horrible symptoms months later. One of them is Charlie McCone, a 31-year-old resident of San Francisco's Sunset District. This time last year, he was very healthy and active, and his career and personal life were going great. Then he got COVID. Ten months later, he feels like he's carrying a 50-pound backpack with a weight on his chest and a bad hangover. All the time. He can barely work, and a short walk outside is possible only on a good day. He's here to share his story and warn others not to be so cavalier about the coronavirus. Charlie McCone, welcome to the podcast. Thank, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm ha- happy to be here. I appreciate you doing this when I know you're not feeling very well these days. Um, and you originally got sick back in March, almost exactly when San Francisco um, issued its shelter-in-place orders. And I wondered if you could describe those first days and, and how you felt and what your symptoms were. Yeah, sure. It's very eerie to look back on that because you're just kind of like, you know, what happened? But it, but it was uh, March 16th. It was the last day I've gone on a run. I went down and I ran to Ocean Beach and came back. I remember just walking back up Judah and then seeing these lines outside the stores and being like, oh my gosh, it's happening. This is so weird. And then um, later that night, I just started having this really uh, unusual um, and I guess strange, just like pressure in my chest. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's odd. Like, what is that? Is that, I was like, maybe it's just like some weird anxiety or something. I just need to take a bath. So I remember taking a bath. Mm-hmm. I just remember not really feeling that great though. And then the next morning, which was Tuesday, um, same, same pressure, but then I just felt like I was just kind of getting sick. And I was like, and I ended up remember just having to take the day off and just mm-hmm. like, I don't feel that great. And then by the end of that day, um, I was like very palpably short of breath, which I've never been in my entire life in, you know, no asthma or anything in my entire life. So that was really alarming at that point, because that's, that was, and has been the most, um, debilitating and just scary symptom. And at this point Mm -hmm. I've kind of learned to kind of manage it a little bit, but, and so by that, by that Wednesday, I scheduled me with my doctor and he's like, yeah, it looks like you have a viral respiratory infection. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, there's only one of those I yeah, know going around. That's right in the now. news these days. <laughs> and and so by um uh Thursday, um I it was very noticeable. And then by Friday, I was like, well, I think I'm getting a you know, maybe I'm getting past that. I still have the really bad chest pain. Um, it still feels short of breath, but I have a little bit better energy. And then Saturday through the following Friday, I was just completely bedridden. Mm-hmm. And there were multiple times where I called the nurse and my girlfriend called the nurse saying like, I think he needs to go in. Like he can't get out of bed. His, his lips are blue. Like this is, this is not looking good. And it was really scary. I mean, there were nights where, you know, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to wake up in the morning. Oh and, gosh. and, it, and that, so the first two weeks were really, it was the sickest I've ever been in my life. I was completely out of work for two weeks. I've, the most I've ever been out of work for in my life is two to three days with, you know, in mm-hmm. that point, it's just, it's a very, you know, up, you really bad and down where this was, I had really bad three days where I was like, I can't breathe at all. And then I felt like I was getting a little better. And then boom on the, on, I think the 10th day, I had one last like really bad two day stretch as well. 
And then that third week, um, you know, if I was like, okay, I'm over the worst of it. I think, you know, I think I had COVID. Um, and the whole time well, they, they never actually tested you, right? They, the whole time they wouldn't test me. And, and my doctor was like, yeah, I think you might have it, but we can't test you right now because we're only testing patients who have known contact, which you don't, who are out of the country, which you aren't, or you're in a high risk population, which you're not. Um, and so one of my biggest regrets is just not going to the emergency room at that time against the advice of, you know, my doctors and the nurses I called. And by the third week, I was like, okay, I think you look better, but I'm like, I still have this weird chest pressure. And so my doctor's like, you know, that's not super common, but it can take a few weeks to get over a viral illness. And then by the fourth week, I was like, okay, I think I'm a bit better. I did my first like walk outside, I think. And I was like, and then by that Friday, I was like, I think I'm past this. And Mm -hmm. then the weekend came and the following week completely flattened again. Mm -hmm. And so and that's when this long COVID situation kicked in where all of a sudden I had this huge relapse and it was kind of the same symptoms, big chest. feels like I have an elephant on my chest. I feel like I can't breathe. The way I describe it now is I'm wearing a 50 pound backpack with maybe a giant cat on my chest, you know, or what have you, with <laughs> top of like a hangover or whatever. And then the sixth week, you know, getting a little bit better again. Um, and this point I'm starting to see the difference specialists and all that seventh. And then on by the seventh week, I'm not better again. And they're like, don't do anything. Uh, just rest. And then by the eighth week, I started having this weird muscle twitching all over my body. And I was like, what the heck is this? Mm -hmm. Um, and then this is at this point where I'm like, do I have some crazy disease? Do I have cancer? What's going on? And I find these group, this, this online group, uh, with something like, 5,000 people. And, and the first post I see is, hi, I'm 25 years old. I still have, I'm still short of breath. It's been six weeks. I feel like I'm losing my mind. When is this going to end? And I was like, oh my God. I was like, this mm. is exactly me. And then there were hundreds of posts like that. And wow. sure enough, I have this weird muscle twitching. What's going on? I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I have. And then, and then, so that kind of, I still have that muscle twitching, but it's mostly resolved. And then, so a similar thing, the wave came. And then by the 12th week, I was like, I think I'm getting better again. And then boom, I started having these crazy heart rate issues where I would just walk mm-hmm. to the, at this point I had an oximeter and I'd walk to the, the kitchen and my heart rate was at 140. And oh my like, gosh. I was like, what the heck is going on? And then I started having this weird left chest pain. And so finally, um, doctor sent, uh, they sent me in and they did a bunch of tests that looked pretty weird. You know, it looked like I had some heart condition. Maybe I had asthma. Um, and, but then they did a bunch of follow-up testing and everything kind of, you know, checked out. And so, um, never found any kind of permanent organ damage. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, very common with long haulers. They have found that I have an autonomic dysfunction which um, a lot of folks are coming down with. So I'm kind of getting into the whole thing. I know you just asked about the first two weeks. I <laughs> that's okay. I know it's the, one big picture. I can get more into how it's been lately and everything, but that's kind of been the similar story. You know, feel like you're getting a little bit better and then boom, slammed again. And so, you know, it's it's the hardest part is how do you manage all of the, the, the uncertainty of this recovery? So right now I'm talking, you know, it looks like, hey, he sounds like he's okay, not too bad. Over the holiday break, it was just brutal. You know, and this is the first week where I'm like, I can sit at a desk, you know, uh, probably not longer than an hour before mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, hours rough, you know, but, um, 
it's still, you know, uh, coming in these waves. Yeah. And you still don't have any concrete answers from your doctors. I know you're a Kaiser patient and I've put in a, an information request with them. So should be hearing more soon, but, um, you are kind of frustrated that you've gotten many tests, seen many doctors, and you still don't really have any plan of action or diagnosis. I have no, um, yes. I mean, I've seen 10 specialists. They're all from like top schools. They're probably some of the smartest people, you know, uh, that you could, you know, be in, in, engaged with. And they have no idea what the heck is going on. And they mm -hmm. are all, I'd say 95% of them are like, this looks like you're, you're, you had COVID and there's this weird post COVID syndrome going on right now that we don't know what it is or how to treat it. I had a bunch of testing yesterday, you know, and, and the technician just looked me dead in the eyes. He's like, this isn't your lungs, dude. You know, your lungs look great. You know, it started with respiratory distress. I still have respiratory distress, but they haven't been able to find anything. I talked yesterday to a, a doctor at UCSF who's doing a study on on people who've had COVID and how they're recovering and sees a lot of patients like you. So for listeners, this is not in your head by any means. This is like very real. And there are a lot of long haulers who are facing this with no answers. Yeah, I mean, it's that that's the, that's the thing is that this is the best reports right now from the National Institute of Health is that this is happening to 10 to 20% of people for at least mm -hmm. 12 weeks or longer. And, you know, hospitals are now so inundated with these patients that the ones that are flexible and responsive are opening their own post-COVID clinics. And, you mm -hmm. know, that's why you, the UK is, is opened up 60, is opening up 60 plus. And UC Davis, they are getting so inundated they, and they have, you know, they're in kind of a position where they have research and treatment where they've, they've already opened one. And I called them and they're like, look, man, like we're getting hundred calls a day. And Kaiser is already, they've acknowledged like, yeah, this is a big problem. All of my, if my own doctors have one to two patients like this, which they do, mm -hmm. like my pulmonologist, like, look, I have two to three patients like you, but we don't know what to do. Imagine like, this is how the healthcare system is treating us right now. Like doc very competent, smart doctors who don't have the tools to or the knowledge to manage this, this are trying to juggle us and the healthcare systems being overwhelmed right now, yeah. because I, um, I don't think um, a lot of places have been nimble enough to kind of respond to this yet. And I think it's just not well understood either. Yeah. So how is this affecting your mental health? Because at least if you had a disease, like, you know, you thought maybe this is cancer, who knows, there would be a much better understanding of your problems in a treatment plan. Yeah, I mean, I'd consider myself, you know, mentally astute, you know, individual, but it's it's the hardest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. And it's um it's hard to stay positive, you know. When I'm feeling good, I'm like on cloud 9 and I'm like dancing on sunshine. I'm like You probably appreciate you know, it more. Forget <laughs> it, forget, you know, everything. I feel good. I'm going to enjoy this moment. And there are like evenings like once every 35 days where I feel like my chest pressure is going away and I'm just like so happy i'm also just like incredibly anxious because like i know it's coming back but overall it's a huge challenge and especially when i'm come i'm transitioning from feeling good to feeling another flare-up you know mm -hmm. come on it is it is really um distressing my you know they referred me to a mental therapist and they want to try me on some like medication just you know they've all acknowledged this is clearly not psychosomatic or anxiety but they're like you can try these things i'm hesitant to try these things mm -hmm. but there are you know there's been nervous breakdowns and there's been you know 
you know, pulling my hair out, kicking and screaming. But at a certain point, you just kind of realize that that's not really helping. And, and so I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to kind of mentally frame this, you know, and I think at three months, four months, I was like, okay, the six month mark, Thanksgiving, I'm for sure going to be better. Mm -hmm. And, or definitely by 20, you know, 2021, I'm going, we all thought 2021 would be better. I'm going to be better. (laughs) And I think after Thanksgiving, when I had another big flare up, I was like, okay, like I may just not get better anytime soon. And I just kind of may have to kind of plan right now the bet, you know, that they're seeing with SARS patients from 2002, that there were a cohort of long haulers and it took many of them, a majority of them, one and a half to three years to completely recover. Um, And so that's kind of my new like timeline. And then, but the scary thing is that there's a cohort of patients who get sick after post-viral illnesses who never recover, you know, and there are people who come down with myalgic encephalitis, chronic fatigue syndrome or, or dysautonomia that they can't fully manage. And so it's really hard. And um, it's also really hard not being a part, you know, mentally, like I feel like I'm quarterbacking my treatment. And so, you know, I'm on all these five different, you know, online groups, the body, you know, body politic, you know, whatever these patient led advocacy groups trying to kind of like lead their treatment where I do feel like if I was at least at a post COVID clinic, they'd be like, okay, from having a doctor have like the cutting edge knowledge of what's going on and recommending things would put me at a lot more ease. Yeah, I think my doctors are totally competent. I don't think they're well read up on, on the latest research or, and I don't think at a place like Kaiser, a primary care or a specialist doctor not in a clinic can act upon what may seem like a clue, you know, because nothing's proven or, or what have you. And that's the thing. It takes one to two years of clinical trials of this, of this stuff before it can be like officially like rolled into just like conventional medical treatment. And, you know, I don't really want to wait one to two years. And so it feels like everybody's kind of putting their dice in like, I hope this, I hope this guy gets better. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. And you're only 31. Um, and this time last year, you were bicycling 10 miles a day to get to work at the San Francisco Parks Alliance and playing sports. And you, as your mother told me, you were thinking of proposing to your girlfriend. <laughs> okay. She, she definitely likes to speak on behalf of other folks. So I'd say that for sure. Um, but what I will say is... So how, how has it affected your day-to-day life? I mean, things were great for you a yeah, year ago. Things were, things were nice. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm a, I lived a, uh, was living a very happy life. I was getting to a point where I was very happy with where you know, 30 years, you know, that's not necessarily the shortest time. I felt like I was getting to a place where I was kind of really hitting my stride in all the ways I'd wanted to. Um, yeah, active. I'm, I mean, I was a very active person. I biked to and from work for 10 miles a day. I ran, you know, uh, probably another 10 miles, you know, a week or whatever. I active tennis player, um, active, you know, was an active musician, um, perf- you know, performer. Uh, a pretty busy person, you know, probably busier than I would wanted to have been. Um, and, and then, um, yeah, I mean, my girl, my girlfriend and I would just been living together for a year. And so we, you know, we were talking about like, okay, you know, what do we want to do next? You know, we just got Mm -hmm. a cat and, and so, yeah. And then, you know, work, I had hit my four year anniversary, you know? And so I'd been like, 
you know, what do I want to do next in my career, you know, as well, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it felt like a lot of things I got, I got kind of the rug pulled out from under me. I'm mm -hmm. kind of like moving forward on a lot of things. I probably, I mean, I think that happened to everybody during the pandemic. Right. And, but, but it did feel like, um, physically, I just couldn't do the things, you know, I, I, the year before I was like, I'm gonna start reading a book every month, you know, and I did mm -hmm. that in 2019. And I didn't read a single book this last year, because mentally, I just, I, don't, I think a lot of people didn't, but mentally, I just, it, I didn't have the energy to do it. And listening to music, which is like my favorite thing to do, I haven't been really able to enjoy it. Because I think it, um, I can only do like really intense, easy listening, you know, like stuff that's very easy, but anything that's like intimate listening, I can't do it for some reason. It's just my body uh, feels too present. And anytime I feel too present, I notice how uncomfortable I am. So I've only been able to really just watch, you know, amazing TV, which has been, you know, this, the highlight of my year and kind of just go for walks and then just give it like my 120% to get through the workday, you know, yeah. every, every day and week. So it's been a huge challenge. And I think it, and then on top of all of the other, um, I think mental and situational challenges, the rest of the world has been dealing with, you know, in, in 2020. And so, but I am incredibly thankful for the support system I did have with, uh, with my, with my, uh, with my girlfriend, with my family, with my friends, with my work, with my healthcare. Um, a lot of people are going through this completely alone. A lot of people are going through this, you know, um, you know, in college, a lot of people are going, you know, there's a lot of young 20 year olds are going through this. And so I, I feel grateful in that regard in the spectrum. You know, I feel like I've been as supportive as I, as probably could have been other than like being, having, having more and, you know, uh upfront treatment and maybe you know ideal daily you know i could be like in a post-covid center right now or something but yeah to answer your question it's, things have changed a lot yeah what do you want to tell other healthy 20 and 30 somethings who are like all of us sure. sick of this pandemic they don't think it's going to affect them that much if they get the virus anyway and so you know before outdoor dining shut the marina and cow hollow or we're hopping um, and people are going to parties and a lot of people are just living their life and ignoring the rules. What, what do you want then to hear? I'd say, you know, two or three things, you know, one is I get it. You know, if I didn't know somebody like me and my friends, you know, were sick, who got sick, were fine after three days. And they say, yeah, I just had the sniffles and, you know, they're reading the, the, the data that says only 6%, you know, the population is getting it. And then only 90, you know, or what only a half a percent of folks die or whatever. Like, you know, I think they're looking at this as a very low risk situation. And I, and I get that. And so when they're making the calculation of whether I'm going to see my friends and family or risk the, the very low percent of chance of this mattering, affecting my life, or am I going to go outdoor dining or, or I'm going to deal with my probably really, you know, uncharted depression, anxiety, a lot of people are going through. I understand that risk assessment that they're making. What I don't think they understand is that there is a very real possibility that if they get sick or if they transmit an illness to somebody else, it can result in a very debilitating chronic illness that could last three, six, 12 plus months, maybe for the rest of their life. And so what I would say is I'm not, you know, a weird, you know, the, oh, he probably has some underlying, you know, condition that he doesn't know about 
or he, he probably was sick a lot and he's just not telling us, or maybe it's all in his head. The facts are the facts right now. You know, the National Institute of Health just did a two-day conference led by Fauci in December, realizing that, wow, there's an overwhelming amount of regularly healthy young people, uh, they're developing these chronic illnesses. And without getting in the hospital, without any permanent lung, heart, or organ damage, um, that I think the, the risk assessment they need to make is, do I want to go out and do the things, or do I want to risk the chance if I get sick, there is a 10 to 20% chance I could result in a chronic illness that could put me out for a potentially a year or the rest of my life. Don't, don't think about the half percent chance that you could die or that your grandma could die. Think about the 10 to 20% chance that this could happen to, to you. You know what I mean? And then, and the last thing I'd say is like, God, like appreciate the health you have right now. Just like being able to take a breath and like stand up for, you know, uh, without passing out, which I can't stand up for longer than five minutes at a, you know, a time completely still. I can walk, but I can't stand completely still because my blood will just go to my feet. Um, appreciate your health. Appreciate the things in your life that that you have because, you know, one day you may get sick. Great. Well, that's a good message for everybody. Um, um, those are my serious questions. And you agreed that you, despite this serious uh, <laughs> issue we've been talking about, you were up for our fun lightning yeah, round. So definitely. we'll end on a happy note. Okay. Um, thinking back to when you could actually go places, um, where was your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, I think classically, it was definitely um, El Cantina, I think at 19th in, in, in Mission. Gosh, I hope that's what it's called. That was like probably my, our go-to. I didn't go there as much as the last few years, but that was probably my favorite. But then lately, and I feel kind of weird saying this, but hook fish in 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 the sunset. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's kind of, it's it's a really good food restaurant and it's, you know, one type of person goes there. I'm just, I'm that type of person, I guess. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Gosh, so... This is a fun question. So we started Sundown Cinema at the Parks Alliance uh, mm -hmm. a couple years ago where we matched San Francisco films with parks. Um, and so I know this probably, you know, uh, <laughs> better than, you know, the average Joe walking around, average Joe or Jane walking around right now. But that's not an easy question. Um, I'd say, I mean, I think objectively, like, I don't care what anybody says. Like Mrs. Doubtfire is the best movie that's ever been filmed yes, in San Francisco. It is very that's fun. the but but I but my favorite personally it could be, um, um. So I married an axe murderer. Oh, that's the correct answer. That's my favorite. Good job. Right. I, I really <laughs> want to show that one at Washington Square Park. I think that'd be yeah. that'd be amazing. That'll be a good uh, welcome back, San Francisco. We made it. Yeah. Event. Okay. Um. Also thinking back, uh, where was your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? Gosh. So my favorite places are just really uh, like classic, you know, San Francisco bars. And so anywhere like uh, the Page or mm -hmm. Vesuvio's or, um, you know, the Shamrock on, on Lincoln and Ninth or even or um, Cafe Re Revolution on on, on twenty second admission where i went the most was amnesia and i mm -hmm. hated what they had on tap <laughs> i go there and i just complain um sometimes when if we were performing there i'd bring my own like beer because i just hated the beer on there and i just bring <laughs> it downstairs and, or something but 
any of the classic places I don't go there enough, but that that's something I really look forward to is yeah. just going to like one of those, you know, really, you know, just kind of fun old bohemian, you know, bars in San Francisco and, and, and have a beer or a drink. The page was my local when I lived at Waller and Divisadero. So right. I used to spend a lot of time there. And I know you work for the Parks Alliance. So yeah. I wondered if those social distancing hearts and circles will be back or were they sort of a, a one-time thing? So, gosh, I'm going to get in trouble here. Um, <laughs> you know, we did de- we definitely did that to try and make up for kind of our traditional visibility and fundraising campaigns that we were mm-hmm. able to do. Right now, we are kind of in discussion of like, um, w- how can we um, uh, kind of, try and kind of meet the moment again and cap and kind of bring a little joy and, 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 and fun and, and community to our parks again. And, and, and it's not that de- I'll say this, it's definitely not off the table. Um, okay. And so it's not, like it. we're not, Especially we, the we're not convinced it's a one-time thing, but we're still trying, we're trying to hash some things out. Okay. I vote more hearts. Okay. Um, well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's very great feedback actually. <laughs> and last question, what is your favorite park in San Francisco? Oh gosh. Um, hmm. I mean, to be, to be frank, it's Golden Gate Park. I mean, I live right next yeah. to Golden Gate Park. I don't think there's anywhere more amazing than Hellman Hollow, especially mm-hmm. if it's, you know, a not crowded, hardly strictly day or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the yeah. best places in the world. One of my favorite public spaces might be, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess this up. Patricia's Green. Oh, yeah. And Hayes Valley. Hayes Valley. I think that's like such a fun place just to get a cup of coffee and hang out and see all the dogs and, and everybody run around. I think that's yeah. great. You know, there's so many under appreciated parks, you know, McLaren park. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, what is it? Proceda park in, and mm-hmm. in, 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 in the mission there, there, go, there are so many am- amazing, you know, parks in this city. And so it just feels blasphemy saying going park, but when it's the best, <laughs> it's the best park in the country. So. I I agree. Well, thank you so much for um, spending all this time. I know it's not easy to talk for this long, but I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Yeah, no, uh, I I thank you taking an interest in this story. And um, I do. It is scary right now with all the cases right now, the best estimates that this is what's happening to me is happening to around, um, you know, 3000 people a day just in the United States alone. So this is only going to become a bigger issue for the country and our healthcare system. And I just hope that we can um, find a way to, 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 to provide meaningful care and, and therapy for folks who, who end up um, with this, um, this situation, who end up in this situation. Yeah. Well, I hope you get some answers soon and that you start to feel better. All right. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Thank you to Charlie McCone for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. 